And welcome to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom, bringing you weekly conversations with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And with us today in the studio is Walter Smith. He is um, an, uh, he's our today's Wavemaker. He's an environmental engineer in Tampa and the Florida Sierra Club's Tampa representative for the Beyond Coal campaign. He's also a longtime member of the WMNF family. Walter Smith has hosted the weekly Sunday Forum on the station for nearly 10 years. Welcome to Wavemakers, Walter. Well, I am glad to be here on Wavemakers. Thank you very much. Good, glad, we're good, glad to good have morning. you here. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. We have a lot to talk about, including your really interesting background, which includes time at Florida A&M, where your dad was the president, time in South Africa, where you got to know the late, great Nelson Mandela. But first, tell us about your work for the Sierra Club. Well, I am the uh, lead representative for the Beyond Coal campaign here in Hillsborough County, and it is a national campaign that is geared towards uh, uh, urging energy companies to go uh, to move towards uh, eliminating the use of fossil fuels as a mm-hmm. means of creating energy. Okay. Right? Uh, there, right now, you have, uh, if we were to talk about our own energy company right here, Tampa Electric Company, they use coal and gas. They have two gas plants and one coal plant, and so which is located in Apollo Beach. Well, you know, before it was all coal. Mm-hmm. Well, the the gas uh, is 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 supposed to be cleaner than coal, but still has the effects, the environmental effects. The coal itself uh, is also, uh, you know, it's some nasty stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it creates coal ash, and coal ash is toxic. It is it has this material, it has its waste actually. Um, the EPA has been very, we've had some, I have had some issues and we have had issues regarding, uh, the categorization of, of, uh, uh, coal ash because they haven't been, they haven't categorized it as a hazardous waste, mm-hmm. even though it is one, right? Mm-hmm. And they know it's toxic. So, uh, because if they know that it's, that it's hazardous and, and, and it's a hazardous waste as categorized as such, and that forces them to them being the energy companies now to limit their use and creation of the material number one and number two it actually forces them to have to remediate it mm-hmm. so is that something the Sierra Club wants to redefine coal ash as hazardous waste is that well that, that's a strategy it is a strategy that that, that we have to get pushed through um, I, I mean no bones about it about the fact that that I am um, adamant about the fact that I as the lead lead representative here need that to be done. And and we do, as a strategy across the board, need to have that to be done um, in, in order for them to, to do that. And there there are a bunch of meetings right now in um, on Capitol Hill about it. And uh, as a matter of fact, next week I'll be traveling to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. to deal with the issue of soot, right? And hmm. which is which is actually directly related to this particular issue. Soot meaning from power plants or from power plants primarily. Yes, okay. that's right. That's right. And so, what what happens to the coal ash now? The coal ash goes into coal ash ponds, or it, it goes into a landfill, right? Mm-hmm. And so, there are even coal ash mounds 
Stuff is dangerous. Do we, where, are they here in Tampa? Do yes, we have them in yes, Tampa? Yes, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, let me, let me put a little fact out there, okay? Florida and Alabama are the two states that that have uh, the the regulation in terms of storing this stuff. Mm-hmm. They it's, it's, it's almost non-existent. As far so there are as, no regulations for storing oh it. Oh, my gosh. Where terrible. are they in our area? Okay, so so in our area, it's located in Apollo Beach. Okay. Right? Then there's another one in uh, in Orlando. Uh, but if you're talking about our area, the West Coast, right, then you're referring to uh, Polk County mm-hmm. area. And uh, there's another one over in Crystal River. Okay. All right? So we have we have some issues that need to be resolved, and, and, and that is one. Uh, and, and the reason that that's, that this is so serious is because of the fact that we have this this has this waste right that is that has been in ponds for over forty years in ponds that were unlined. If you go to Earth Justice, you'll find these facts. You go to the EPA website; these are these are there. It's, it's all factual. Uh, this is not something I made up that Walter Smith is just saying mm-hmm. or anything like that. This is all a fact. And so these unlined ponds are unlined primarily because. Uh, the fact that underneath, when they're creating these ponds, the the so-called lining is actually clay. So then what happens? Uh, so they're unlined, and then the, it's poisoning. What happens to the So what happens is it gets into groundwater. Gets into groundwater. Gets into groundwater, uh, and, and groundwater is, is uh, you know, it's, it goes everywhere, obviously, you know, from, from rain and so forth, right? Um, it gets into, uh, it can get into ponds. It can get into ditches and streams and so forth. And, and eventually uh, it gets out to the population, right? So coal has, has, has many ways to get out to the population. Mm-hmm. One is by air. The other one is by by groundwaters and so forth, right? Uh, you know, and so one of the things that that has been a big issue has been what happens when we get that Category Five situation, mm-hmm, hurricane, exactly. Yep. And, and Tampa is a target for that, right? We we got hit. Well, we missed it actually. It missed us by only I say inches, right? Because it was just south of our county, right? And where's Apollo Beach? Is South County. And so I imagine if a 40-foot wave surge hits that, which is exactly what was predicted by the Phoenix Project. Uh, the Phoenix Project was a project that was done regarding the issue of disasters and, and hurricane uh, disasters in this area. And when it, when it pointed out the fact that there would, be a four, there would be a 40-foot wave surge that would hit this coastline, what happens when that hits? It then encroaches on the uh, uh, coal ponds, the coal ash ponds. And the coal ash ponds then will carry out to other areas, right? It could go in the bay. Is it that close to the Absolutely. bay? Absolutely. It's right on the bay. It's right on the right bay. Right on the bay. The manatees come to the Tico plant to get warm. Yeah. Because and that's where, that's where the coal ash is, at least one of the locations where it's exactly. the story. Exactly. And so tell us about why it's so hazardous. What is it and what is the danger that it poses to public health? Well, coal ash, coal ash has, oh, God, it has heavy metals in it. Mm-hmm. Which means it's radioactive, right? Okay, and when I say radioactive, I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not distorting anything. I'm not making it up. I'm, that, that is exactly what's there. That's what's in it. Okay. Then you talk about arsenic. You talk about lead. You're talking about this, those are usual suspects. Then you have thallium, right? Thallium is a poison that that uh, according to history, uh, there there are historical records where there were people who used thallium for murder. Hmm. 
like a drop of thallium in, in whatever, yep. you know, to knock somebody off, right? And then you're talking about things like, uh, 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 you know, the, about what it affects, right? And that's just that's just a drop in the bucket, what I just mentioned there, right? There are a bunch more. Um, it, it, and so when you look at at what it affects, you're talking about brain uh, uh, brain cancer, you're talking about respiratory issues, uh, you're talking about heart issues, you're talking about liver issues. All these things can occur as a result of exposure mm-hmm. uh, to coal ash. And so these are things that we that we see primarily. Let's, let's, let's look at some facts here, okay? When we look at environmental issues, we look, we, 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 we need to pay attention to the frontline communities, what we call frontline communities, right? Um, and these frontline communities that are underserved frontline communities are usually communities where you have poor people, mm-hmm. where you have those populations who have historically been deemed as undesirable. Mm-hmm. They have been redlined areas. Mm-hmm. And so because that, that's what they are or what they were, um, they are currently exposed to it and have historically been exposed to these things, right? Um, 75% of black and brown people, for instance, in the United States live near or next to industrialized operations mm-hmm. that create or release toxic or hazardous materials. Mm-hmm. And so that means that when we look at the illnesses and public health throughout the state of Florida or throughout the United States or even in the world, what do you see? You see these same populations, mm-hmm. black people at the top of the list mm-hmm. of illnesses, when it comes to these things. And so when you see this, we, we, we have to make a, a, real, um, a real effort to go out to these communities and make sure that people are understanding, no, it's not just because you smoke cigarettes. It's not just because of a food desert. No, this is happening to us because, and I, and I am a member of that society, right, of that community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, guess what? When we look at these things, we've got to be in the vanguard of the discussion. We have to encourage the people who are being most impacted to be a part of the discussion. And that is one of my biggest, biggest challenges. That's one of my biggest um, focus, focal points when I get out into the community. And if you can get EPA to declare it a hazardous waste, Big win. Big what, win. Would, but what would the result be? What would uh, a company like Tico have to do different from what it's doing now? Okay, so, so one of the things we have to look at is the very shortly, the history of that, right? 2015, 2015, yeah, 2015, Barack Obama's administration created uh, stringent points in order to make sure that you, um, to make sure that we contained this whole thing, right? They put limitations on how much longer they'd be able to store these things in ponds and landfills. With the, with number three's administration, on my show, I don't say his name, but on number three's administration, uh, <laughs> uh, that's what we call number three. Uh, number three's administration, uh, we actually, we actually point see where those things were rolled back, right? In fact, there were waivers that were given and waivers that have been allowed to be given because, by, uh, to them to continue to store these things in ponds and designing these things and, and the whole nine. Watch this, watch this. By people who are who are not um, who are not professional engineers, mm-hmm. right? Not not qualified to be able to do these types of things. Historically, this has been done by professional engineers, right? That's a problem. That's a serious problem, right? So who's, who's giving out these certificates? Who's mm-hmm. giving out these waivers? And this this is putting people's lives in in jeopardy, right? Well, presumably the power companies don't want this to happen, and I assume they have been. And is this true? They have been fighting against this. 
designation as hazardous waste? Oh, yes, of course. Of course. There, I mean, there are all types of preemptions regarding it. Um, as a matter of fact, let me point this out. Uh, there, there is actually a preemption that was that was uh, put through to actually keep take away the power of local entities, local governments, to be able to govern this type of thing. At the federal level, there was a preemption. Oh no, state, state level. level. Oh, okay, state of course, level. of course, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, come on, look, look, look at who we're dealing with, right? So, I mean, we're talking about some major issues there. That's a major issue. So, you know, that that's that's. That takes away the power of, of, of the people, truthfully, to be able to work with local government and say, listen, we have a problem. There are people getting sick, we, so we need to work with you in order, to change, in order to work with the power company and get this changed to come up with some sort of clean energy solution. The clean energy solution that we've been fighting for, Sierra Club and other organizations, coalitions like the Tampa Bay Disaster Resiliency uh, Initiative, which I created along with my friend Gonzalo Valdez mm-hmm. um, some time ago. Um, before I got to Sierra, that was something that um, that that we had that, that we realized we had to do, and we had to do it quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have some serious issues going on right now. We really do. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom. And our guest today is Walter Smith, who uh, works with the Florida Sierra Club on the Beyond Coal campaign. If you have a question for Walter, you want to join our conversation and weigh in on um, coal-fired plants and electric plants and the impact they have on our community, give us a call at 813-239-9663. The environmentally sound John Dunn is waiting to take your call. 813-239-9663. You can also send us an email to dj at wmnf.org. And that's what David Bryant did. He sent us an email and he says, thank you for bringing Walter on the show. I was wondering if you if he would talk about the lead smelter company, Gopher Resources, that is poisoning people in East Tampa. I think the Tampa Bay Times did a great job exposing the story. I feel for the workers who are way overexposed to lead in that factory and for the people who live nearby. What do you think about that, Walter? I- I agree with him 110%. That was a tragedy and a travesty. There, there's no way on God's green earth that that should have been allowed to happen as long as it did. The standards that were, the safety standards that were there were atrocious, absolutely atrocious. And as one who teaches OSHA, uh, has walker training and so forth, I, and, and as, an, as an engineer, I've seen this type of thing before. Mm-hmm. It was. It's like going into. I think we all had teenage sons, right? So, so it's like going into a teenager's bedroom. That's a disaster area, right? You, I had a daughter, and hers was a disaster. Still, so. Okay, so there, there you go. There you go. Just teenagers. Right, right, right. But this, this, this is bad. And what's worse is look at where Gopher is located, in proximity to. What to what? T- kind tell of us, speak for for our listeners who are not a, familiar with Gopher. Where is it? How close is it to okay. the neighborhoods? What Gopher are the neighborhoods? Is, Gopher is located in, in the North Tampa area, um, so to speak. We call it North Tampa, uh, near a frontline community that is heavily populated with pe- with people who are um, uh, either black or brown. Mm-hmm. Right? Those are the predominant. That's the predominant population there. Look at the look at who was who was sick. Look at who was sick. And look at and 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 then look at how at, at the safety precautions that were taken. Listen to the stories, the narratives, and that's another thing that we have to do. We have to get narratives from the people who are impacted with these with these things. 
right? Were you fam- I was not familiar with Gopher Industries before I read that uh, Pulitzer Prize winning series oh, in the God. Times. It was but, great. It was great. But were you, you were already familiar with that or was Absolutely. this a revelation to you as well? No, it was not some revelation. It was something that I was very well aware of. Um, but it's like, just like with the energy companies, you know, you say something about it and people kind of let it go right over their head or they don't do anything about it until something happens. And is anything happening now as a result of the explosion? I have not followed. I, I, know, I know that there are some lawsuits that are out there right now. Um, there, the investigation, as I, as I understand it, is, is done um, but the law, because the lawsuits are out there now, right? Um, I know that they're being monitored further, uh, but, you know, this is what, this is where we are. You know, and, and and this is where this is where it should have been a long time ago. Yeah, should have been a long time ago, just to keep it in check. You know, I think I think during number three's administration, especially, uh, which is where you see this this happen, right? A lot of environmental issues took place. You had coal. You the the biggest disasters of coal ash releases, for instance, just just that alone, right? Took place under his administration. Mm-hmm. When you look at these at these things now, for instance, right now with, with Gopher, these, this happened because of rollbacks, mm-hmm. rollbacks with OSHA, rollbacks with EPA, and, and and so people weren't paying attention to this anymore at the levels where they should have been paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And that is a travesty. That is the travesty and that is the tragedy of this entire thing. We've got, I want to get to um, the phones and emails. We've got an email from um, Tina Hines up in Brooksville who says, thank you for having Walter on the show. Longtime hey, Sierra Tina. Club um, and NAAC member. And we've got a phone call. We have James from Ruskin on the line who wants to talk about the Sierra Club and nuclear power. So, um, James, uh, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Hey, James. Hello, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I'm getting a chance to speak about nuclear power and the Sierra Club. All right. Founded okay. The Sierra Club was a nuclear power proponent until the day he died. After he died, their whole position changed. Nuclear mm-hmm. power uh, was promoted in the 50s by uh, many people. Alvin Weinberg being primarily the example I'm talking about, he invented and patented pressurized water reactors for use in submarines. He also patented uh, molten salt reactors, which he intended to use for generating electricity in the country. As it turned out, uh, he ended up getting fired for it. Wow. And the information and documentation on nuclear power with using molten salt reactors was put in a closet in Oak Ridge and hidden for 20 years. Uh, NASA scientists found it and uh, passed it around the country, Congress and everywhere, and everyone ignored it, so he posted it on the Internet. And now China is developing it. Molten salt reactors... They, they're cooled by molten salt. They use no water whatsoever. So, James, have you always been a proponent of nuclear power? I, I know there was a period when we liked it, and then we didn't like it, and now it seems to be making a comeback. Well, yes, I was completely against nuclear power, 100%, mm-hmm. until I discovered molten salt reactors on the Internet. 
and found out about them. Uh, they cannot explode. They're under about the same amount of pressure as a water fountain. What, what's your take on that, Walter, and the Sierra Clubs, your position? What's your I take cannot, on that? Let me say this. I do not know what the Sierra Club's position is on that. Right now, there's nothing that's been uh, publicized regarding that mm-hmm. currently. Um, what I can tell you is what, is what Walter Smith's position has been on it. Um, and, and thank you so much for your question and uh, in, in, in this point. Uh, I just recently delivered a lecture over at the uh, Distinguished Lecture Series over at the Biodiversity Series over at the Stetson Law School. Mm-hmm. And a question, the, a question almost identical to this came up. My position on nuclear power plants is I, I am not a fan. Mm-hmm. I am not a fan because it is nuclear energy, period. We are live in the state of Florida. We don't live in Colorado. We don't live in some mountainous area where, you know, where this is, you know, this might be seem to be okay or whatever it is. Let me tell you, I am totally against it. And the reason I'm against it is because people make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. I don't care what industry it is. People make mistakes. You have a mistake like that with a nuclear power plant in the state of Florida with a delicate type of ecosystem that we have here. We have a problem. Mm-hmm. We have a serious problem. And it's one that, that we can ill afford to have in a state like this. Uh, if, you real, if you recognize back in 2017, we had the accident we had with coal ash, with coal, right? Um, that was a mistake. We are human beings. We make mistakes. Make a mistake with nuclear energy. That, that's, yeah, yep. that, that's, that's far more deadly. James, thanks else. for your call. Appreciate it very much. Um, and feel free if you're out there listening and you want to give us a call and talk to Walter, talk to, to Tom and myself about what your thoughts are on nuclear energy, solar power, what we can do in Florida um, to have cleaner energy. Give us a call, 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. We have a text message from Bubba who says, I worry about the people of Bartow who are exposed to phosphate wastewater and bad air. When I lived there, I often smelled a terrible acid smell. The area got to deal with the stink, stank, stank. That's right. So does Child's Park. So that's a, what about, talk about that, people out in Bartow and the phosphate. Well, we also have a gypsum stack in uh, Tampa right on the bay. Exactly. uh, The neighbors actually is is the neighbor to to the coal ash. Exactly. And so oh, okay. it, it ended up in the bay. Exactly. And afterwards, what did we have? We had a, a, a lot of seagrass that right. died. Right, right. And and so there there have been issues with that. And if you notice, you don't see much in the news about it, do you? I, I've not seen anything in the news about that in terms of an update of the of the status mm-hmm. of these areas. I've not seen anything. Yeah, okay? yeah. Okay? Now, one of the things, and, and understand, under this same situation... That took place at Piney Point, which is what you're referring to. Piney Point, right. Mm-hmm. At the Piney Point. I was one of the first people along one of my protégés. We were, we were two of the first people that were on that, that were near that site. Mm-hmm. We got through, and we and we 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 walked around, not not the area per se, but we got near it, as near as we possibly could, to, to be able to take pictures and see the plant itself, right? Understand, this was an un... This place had been shut down. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, understand... It, it it had no oversight, had no real oversight, and this is where it deteriorated. Right. Okay. And so when you look at what at what happened there at Piney Point, remember the conversation, the the statement that was made by the state secretary of DEP at the time. He said, uh, you know, one of the things that we're concerned with 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 uh, with gypstacks is number one, the radioactive. 
component right. of it, right? He pointed out, he said, there is absolutely no way that this, that, that any radioactive material, we have no, no, um, no uh, indication that any radioactive material has gotten out into our waterways or anything like that, has escaped this. Really? Really? Yeah. The, the, no, notice, but notice this. He was not secretary soon after. <laughs> I'm just I'm just pointing to, that's a, that's a fact. That's a fact. The statement was made. He's no longer secretary soon after. Yeah. And you know, that's that's what happened. Now, so my my point to you is this. You know, people say things like this and you have to be very careful about what you say when 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 you deal with this. And you have to look at the facts. Mm-hmm. When when about what's there. There's no way on God's green earth that you can have a release from a, from a gyp stack that that big and not have any radium um, right. come out at all. Come on. That, that's absolutely ridiculous. We got another call. Um, we got DeAndre and Brandon who wants to talk about methanol use in cars. So this is DeAndre and Brandon. DeAndre, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Yeah, good morning. I was just curious, uh, uh, how far are we from the use of uh, methanol and automobiles and uh, from what I understand, first of all, it's made from wood and leaves. Um, it's alcohol. It doesn't have the burn uh, or, or CO2 uh, production as gasoline or even ethanol. Um, and automobiles could just use a swap out of spark plugs and some hoses and be able to utilize this fuel. I don't know how true, uh, well, the computer in the cars. Uh, uh, ones as old as 95 can uh, can uh, or since made since 95 can uh, utilize this with a swap uh, or reprogramming of a vehicle's computer. I don't know how true that is, and I'm trying to find out. And I, I just I don't know is that on you know people's radar, people you know people who are up there with that sort of thing, uh, the, the the wave maker so to say, like uh, and also. Sodium batteries as opposed to lithium. Like, are we there yet? What do you What do you think, Walter? Thanks for the call, DeAndre. Thank you, DeAndre. Uh, So, with regard to methanol, uh, there there have been people who have tried that and it actually worked. They swapped swapped it out in the car, and they've actually I've heard of people who've done that. Now, I've actually I've never actually seen it, but I've heard of people who actually have. Um, if, If is it on the radar? Right now, uh, I think it's less on the radar now than is the issue of solar-powered or electrical vehicles. So electrical vehicles, though, is going to require a a real change in how uh, power is produced, right? Because if if we continue to produce power with coal and gas so you can power your electric car, it doesn't seem like it's a really great solution. So... What is the solution from the Sierra Club perspective? Uh, because we had one caller, James. He favors you know, nuclear energy, thinks that's a good alternative. Yeah. <laughs> um, you personally don't. No. Uh, can, <laughs> but can not. solar power... You and see Terminator, power, man? <laughs> <laughs> you see what happens in that thing? Come on, man. No way. But can no, solar power and, and, and uh, wind power really replace all of the, the um, electrical power we have in the state? Can, I'm sorry, what's your question, your question again? Can solar power right. and wind power mm-hmm. be sufficient to replace 
all of, meet all of our the needs fossil in fuel, Florida. The current fossil needs. fuel. Yeah, especially if we're moving toward electric vehicles. Yes, it, it can replace fossil fuel right now. If, if, if you're referring to fossil fuels, yes, yes it can. And and let, let me let me point this out. Someone asked me the same question, and and, and so let me let me point it out in this way. When you talk about the electrical the electric uh, chargers that are out there, many of those chargers are are chargers are electric chargers because they use solar energy, right? So they have a solar panel that's already built in. They're not getting that electric energy from from uh, from Tico or anything else like that. That is strictly the Well, as a recent uh, purchaser of an electric vehicle, I have not seen that. Most of the ones I've seen are powered, uh, especially if you want a fast charge. I think it's right. going to have to be powered, but anyway. Right, 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 right. So they, so they go to, they go to um, you go to, there's a place out in New Tampa, for instance. They have a new, they have a, a parking lot there, and in the parking lot they have the chargers, the solar chargers. There. Solar chargers, yeah. yeah. And, the, and that, that is a solar panel. They have the, it, it supplies the energy to it. They go in there and they charge the cars up and they walk away. No problem. Um, now, when you talk about people have the misconception that that these things are charged by um, by Tico or by some power plant somewhere, that's not the case. So what we have is a situation where you have um, uh, we, we we have been pushing for. Um, Tico to go solar for homes. The issue that we're facing with that, with regard to homes, is that we need to weatherize these homes in order to be able to have any real success on a larger scale, right? And especially in frontline communities where we really, where we have the energy burdens. Those energy burdens that exist uh, in 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 Hillsborough County. Are three times the national average, right up there with Jacksonville, which is now, which is now according to new reports, up at sixteen percent. National average is at three. Hmm. I mean, is it six? So why are we? Why are our natural our, our national average so so big? It's because people can't afford to pay the electric bill. They, listen, they just went in. The, these comp- energy companies went in just now and got rate increases. Yep. We're paying for their for their bad habits. Well, they also got the law changed so that they will pay uh, solar customers less for their electricity. Because if terrible. you produce a lot of electricity, you have more than you need, and you can sell it back to the electric right. company. Right, you should be able to do that, and that's and that's fair. Or share it with your neighbor. Can't, exactly, you can't exactly. do that either. South Carolina, South Carolina does it. I worked in the Low Country, South Carolina. That's what they do, and it works well for them. Now. Why can't we do that here? Because they're greedy. That's greed. Let me let me show you something. During when the time when COVID came up, right? When COVID came, uh, Emera, which is the parent company to Tampa Electric Company, for those people who mm-hmm. do not know, which is in Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, the, I hope you heard me out there. Emera, okay. Emera is the parent company. E M E R A. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It's the parent company of the Tampa Electric Company. Now. Uh, they are in Nova Scotia, Canada, and their their uh, CEO Scott Balfour uh, was paid. This is during COVID. Got a a a, a salary package of eight million dollars. Mm. You want eight million dollars a year? I'll take uh, one. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. But but this guy gets. Eight. Well, I'll take one once. Right. This guy gets eight. Right. So if you can afford to give this guy eight million dollars a year. Certainly, you can afford 
to, to do better by the people that you serve, mm-hmm. right? These people are suffering and having to decide whether or not how they're going to put food on the table and pay the electric bill. They're paying more than 50%, more than half of their, more than 50% of their salaries or, or, or money that brings into the house. That's what the energy burden is. The energy burden is also based on the fact that, on, on the things that happen to these companies, to these people. Do you know that there are people out there right now who, because of the conditions of their, of their rental property, I understand, 70-some percent of the people who live in these communities, the frontline communities, do what? They rent, mm-hmm. right? Did you see what happened at, at some of these apartments recently? Yeah, terrible. Right? Yeah. And they refuse to weatherize them, refuse to do what's, what's right by them. Mm-hmm. And if they, if they say something to, the, um, to the, the landlords or whomever it is, they threaten to say, the landlords come back with, well, we'll just tell DCF. And as we tell DCF, then what happens? They take those children out of the home. What happens when, when, when your electricity goes out in, in public housing? You get kicked out. Water goes out. You get kicked out. And what happens when you can't supply water, electricity, and you're, you're a parent? You're deemed an unfit parent. Mm-hmm. And if you're deemed an unfit parent, what happens? They take children up out of the home. Mm. That is a, that's part of the energy burden. And it's part of the energy burden that people don't know about because they don't listen. Mm-hmm. And they don't go out into these communities to know that this is what's happening out there in these, in these black and brown communities primarily. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is a problem, folks. This and, is a problem. And so what can people do to help the Sierra Club if they uh, uh, want to do something? What do you recommend they do? Look out for the events that we have. Take part in them. Watch, watch out for, um, look, listen to my show, right? Listen to your show, because I'm going to start making sure you guys get all this stuff too, right? <laughs> uh, but look out for Sierra Club events. Look out for... Um, for events that, because we're working very closely with the Democratic Black Caucus. We're working closely with um, NAACP. We're working closely with um, uh, Food and Water Watch, uh, headed up by Brooke Ward. Um, we have uh, people out there like Susan Glickman and people mm-hmm. like that who are working very diligently out in the community. Listen, look out for these people. Look out for these organizations that are out there uh, that that are doing this work, the Urban Progress Alliance, headed up, headed up by... Andre Hill, the third, uh, the mm-hmm. second, excuse me. Um, you know, these are organizations that we are working with. Progress Village uh, Civic Association. All these organizations are part of the uh, the coalition that we developed over the years. And so we have all types of, of uh, events going on uh, where we tell people about it. Watch out for my broadcast that I do on my Facebook page, Walter L. Smith the second Facebook page, or the Sunday, uh, the Sunday forum page, or you know, any of these things, any of these things will will, will get you information about what we're about what we're doing. Um, let's take. Um, uh, I want to read a couple more emails. Um, we've got a bunch of emails and text messages. Okay. Um, so we've got um, one person who says, "Oh, David Coleman, who says Long Island of all places will be seventy percent wind and solar by twenty thirty. They became a public private company twenty years ago. They will all be all public soon with another round of savings to customers. Tico's thirty year commitment to fracked gas is criminal. No reason for it. So to Tom's question, can we really go wind and solar in Florida? So if they can do it in Long Island, we should be able to." do it. Yeah. Um, another person commented about the electric cars who said that, um, uh, 
dependency. It's true that electric vehicles shift the demand for power elsewhere, and much of that power is produced from coal or nukes, but it is still a net gain because of the efficiency of electric vehicles. Um, and then... Uh, when an electric car breaks down on the road, will an electric tow truck come pick it up or most likely a gasoline-powered tow truck? <laughs> good point, guys. That good is a point. good point. Um, and um, let's take this quick phone call from um, Nick and Seminole. Nick and Seminole, um, you're on the line. You've got some interesting <clears throat> information that you'd like to share about electric cars. Tell us about it. You on the line there, Nick? Hello? Nick? Oh, Nick hung Nick up. Has, uh, just lost hung Nick. Up. Um, but he was making the point uh, that electric vehicles actually produce more hazardous, uh, you know, pollution and things like that than you might think. I'd, I'd like to see the studies on that. Yeah. I, I'm always open to those types of uh, 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 polemics. Uh, definitely. I, I'd love to see it. I love to see the information on that. Well, he seems to think uh, that it's, yeah, that they actually cause cancer. So we'll, we'll find out about that. Okay. Um, we've got an email from Roseanne who says, um, uh, why isn't every parking lot using solar panners, panels for power and shade for vehicles? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I like that idea. That would be yeah. a cost. Also, every new building should utilize solar on roofs. Absolutely. I agree with you, Roseanne. Um, and solar doesn't have to be on roofs either. Right. It can be in, it can be in a field somewhere. Be, nearby. We certainly yeah. see a lot more more solar around um, <clears throat> in Florida in the last five years or so than you have before. Yeah. Let's get Nick is back. Okay. There Nick. You go, Nick. Nick, you're back. Yeah. You on the line? Yes, ma'am. What hey, you Nick. got? Tell us what you tell us about electric cars and cancer. Well, all you have to do is get an RF meter, which everyone has these days with all the radiation we're being exposed to, and you'll see that the research shows that when you're driving a Tesla. It's like standing within six inches of a running microwave. Now, the solution would be to put a Faraday cage on the back end of that car, right? Hmm. So that, uh, and and uh, another thing is, what good is all these green policies going to do when China opens up a new coal-fired plant every day? If you look at the pollution map of the world, it has nothing to do with the United States. It has to do with India and China. But we're having to be penalized. And then Greta Thunberg just changed her mind. Now she's against uh, wind farms. Hmm. So I don't know what's going on, but those Teslas cause cancer. Get you an RF meter. You'll see it. You need to take precautions. Peace. Thanks, hey, Nick. Thanks for the call. Walter, Listen, thoughts I don't, on want, it? Well, I don't I have don't, a Tesla. I've got I, a Kia I'm Soul. I'm like you. I have easy. no need for a Tesla, brother. I, 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 <laughs> I've got I a Kia Soul, Listen. and it's working pretty well. I do like the fact that I don't even pay attention to gas prices anymore. So that is one advantage. That's one. That's one um, advantage, yeah. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom and WMNF. Our guest is Walter Smith, and he is um, works with the um, Florida Sierra Club on the Beyond coal campaign so what's we're in the middle of a legislative session or the start of a legislation legislative session what are you guys watching in tallahassee what kind of um what kind of mm. crazy stuff is coming out of there anything good or bad in terms of uh what's the sierra club watching i don't know what you know <laughs> listen we have been watching all all of the the additions to the preemptions that have come out of tallahassee um right now 
the biggest thing right now is what what was done before and trying to make sure that that does not get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Right? As I told you before, there were preemptions that were put in place some time ago yep. uh, with regards to taking away the power of local ent- local government entities to mm-hmm. be able to govern and keep safe the people that that that's that, that within their jurisdiction. So mm-hmm. that is that's that's a major point. And if you can't do that, then that's that's a problem. Then there's net metering uh, and, and things of that nature, and, and and the ability to be able to determine what kind of energy you you want to to serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a moment ago, you mentioned the fact that you guys mentioned the fact that there was uh, uh, we can't make we, we can't uh, have our own solar energy and sell the energy back, and they're trying right now to be able to do what lower the, the cost of what they have to pay back. And that's, that's, that's So they're green. de-incentivizing solar. Right. They're, that's what the Florida legislature is doing right now. Anything they can do to help, help their, their boys out. Well, um, and uh, on a similar line, we got an, uh, an email with, uh, related to that uh, electric vehicle conversation. And this um, person says, all of that propaganda about electric cars being more toxic, more dangerous, more polluting is just that propaganda. All of that nonsense comes from a dying fossil fuel industry. And the nonsense... Um, I'm listening to right now about there's no point in trying to save anything because other people are doing bad things. It's just pathetic hysteria. <laughs> uh, I mean, That's we right. can't all throw up our hands. That's true. And it is right. hard to get another country to change what it's doing if we don't change ourselves. Right. Well, right. And then we have also, I mean, that on another global issue too, all those countries that are, are suffering because of the pollution that's being caused by these, like China and India and the United States. Well, right. You know so there's let's, 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 let's keep that in perspective, okay? Uh Many of these countries that use fossil fuels are using fossil fuels because they were colonized. Right. If they had not been colonized, they wouldn't be using the. It's likely they wouldn't be using these fossil fuels mm-hmm. like this. Interesting. It's likely that they would have that they'd be right along with everybody else. But when you do, when colonization takes place and you're forced to have to do these types of things, you know, then what happens is you're stuck. You're stymied. Any type of growth and development in your country is kept from ha- really happening at any major way. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're under the thumb or the boot of a colonizing factor. Now, when you talk about the United States, we are not a, we are not a colony. We are a country. We are a superpower, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, we sit here and we are some of the most wasteful people on the face of the earth. Um, yet, you know, we, we criticize countries like this, uh, like, like China and, and um, uh, uh, India, uh, for their for their doing what they do in terms of development. Now, do we need to do we need to be critical? Yes. Do we need to be watchful? Yes. Do we need to make sure that they do right? Yes, we do. But we need to do right also. Mm-hmm. We need to do right. We need to clean up our own house. Right. You know. So you, you know, gotta I, lead by example. Yeah, we gotta lead by example, and and we can't just we can't do like number three did and just walk out of the <laughs> try to quit the whole thing. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, can't do that because we're the ones who created the, the G7 right. to begin with. So, yep. you know. Um, you wanted to talk a little bit about um, HB 999 in Tallahassee. Yes. We've got a little bit of time left, and I want to make sure we have time to tell you a little bit of your story. So. Okay. Uh, House Bill 999 is, uh, I'm, you see me right now, I'm wearing, uh, I'm a member of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, Roots all the bros out there. Um, what, you know, Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity, along with the other members of the Divine Nine, are in jeopardy by this. 
because we are we are what you call black Greek organizations. Mm-hmm. We are cult. We 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 fall under cultural organizations. Uh, okay. So HB nine 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 basically does a couple of things. One is it is geared towards this is the diversity, equity, and inclusion. They are the trying anti- to wipe diversity. it out. Yeah. They are trying to wipe out diversity. Mr. Corcoran, I think, just fired their DEI dean down in a. At, New college, so. Ridiculous. And Ron DeSantis just had a panel discussion yesterday attacking all aspects of diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. It's, it's, uh, I've never seen anything like this. It's sick. It is actually sick. And if you don't think, if you don't know that there's something wrong with that, then there's something wrong with you. Well, just a couple of years ago, his own administration was pushing diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Things have just, he's just, you know, I guess he's running for president now, so he's decided to change his position on that. Listen. Um, for some, there was some discussion about him being scared to debate. I'll debate him any day, any day, any <laughs> I would time. like to see that. Well, let I think he might you. be afraid to debate you. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so let me tell you, this, this issue of, 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 of destroying or taking out um, diversity, and equity, and inclusion, uh, uh, getting rid of, of affirmative action uh, programs and uh, cultural programs is absurd, absolutely absurd. And being and then going back and saying you you're you're eliminating any black history um, uh, or cultural history uh, cultural studies programs at a university is absurd. Yeah, absolutely absurd. And then to say that you're going to take out the the cultural organizations, listen, it's more than just black organizations that will be taken out. There are Jewish fraternities that have been around since at, at, mm-hmm. at predominantly white institutions since since the 1800s. So, no, I I don't see, personally, I don't see this going through. Uh, If it does, I'd be surprised. I don't know. I'd I'd be totally surprised. I I, I hope that you're right. I do, too. (laughs) (laughs) I've been wrong before, clearly. I do want to point out that this is the kind of topic that you often will uh, talk about on Sunday Sunday Forum. Forum. Sunday Forum. Walter... In case you think, ah, that voice sounds familiar or that name sounds familiar, <laughs> that's because Walter has been uh, the host of Sunday Forum here on WMNF 88.5 every Sunday morning for almost 10 years, right? Almost 10 years. Yes. And, uh, and one that's of the most popular shows on WMNF, one of the most popular shows, one of the, definitely one of the most popular news and public affairs shows. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And how did you end up doing that? Uh, I was coaxed. I was tricked, man. <laughs> Uh, Otis, shout out to Otis Anthony. Uh, Otis Anthony the late, brought me the in. late great, Otis the Anthony. late great Otis Anthony. He brought me. We were on a panel discussion, and he he got me in here three times to sit in on on the show three times. And on the third time, each time he was like, "Hey man, you like it?" I was like, "Yeah, I like it. Like it's pretty cool." And he said, "Come in next weekend." And so I, was, I came in next weekend, and I said, "He said you like it?" I was like, "Yeah, it's pretty cool." And I'm like, "Why does this guy keep asking me if I like this?" You know, he comes in the third time, and and then all of a sudden. On air, he introduces me as the new host. I said, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, whoa, hold on, man. And then afterwards, I, I didn't want to say anything on air, you know. But when I off air, I was like, hey, man, listen, dude, I, I've never done this before. <laughs> you know, he was like, no, you got you to gotta do this. You, you can do it, Walt. You can do it. So he said he said to me, he said, listen, you got <laughs> DT. So he says, hey, hey man, uh, you, you can't have any dead air. I dead air. I can't have any dead air. I said, what, what's dead air? He said, you can't. It can be no keep silence. Talking. Yeah, you got to keep, keep talking. talking. I said, oh, hell. 
So I, so that week, I'm sitting there at my desk, and I had this big three-ring binder, and it had all all types of news on gathering all this stuff up. Because it was just you. You didn't have guests, That's right? it. That's it's it. Just Walter talking. And I was like, oh, my God. And I sat there, and before I knew it, when, I, when, when the, the on-air light went on, I went on, and I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? I said, good morning, good morning, good morning. And then from there, it was like, go, you know. And so, and I'll never forget, um, one of the one of the top stories of the, of the time was Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes had just passed away. The mm-hmm. famous wrestler, Dusty Rhodes, who was one of my favorite wrestlers mm-hmm. growing up. Um, he died that Wednesday. I'll never forget. And, uh, and so that Sunday, I was like, okay, that should be a good one, right? And people called in about Dusty Rhodes. You know, and, yeah, well, you know, I remember Dusty Rhodes. I was like, oof. <laughs> Oh, God. Let's talk about Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, let's talk about Dusty Rhodes until I can find something else. So I, I went, I talked about that, and I talked about some other stuff that was going on in the community and everything. And then by, before I knew it, it was over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and, and you've been doing it for almost 10 years. 10 but, years. Well, I think one of the th- great things about you being on this show as a wave maker is that you are also the son of wave makers. Ah. Uh, tell uh, tell uh, our, our, our listeners may not be familiar with your dad and your mom, but both of them have had had distinguished lives and careers just yeah. very briefly yeah. uh, my father just passed away last uh two two thanksgivings ago oh. um and he was the he was Dr. Walter L Smith who was the former president he's better, best known as having been the former president the seventh president of Florida A&M University FAMU mm-hmm. and uh he he spent his life uh fighting Jim Crow and fighting apartheid mm-hmm. on both continents Right, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and so he built universities and colleges and and presided over them and set them up for the next the next generation to do these things and articulation between different countries, uh, in third world countries for those those uh, mm-hmm. different academia areas. Uh, my, my, and, and he actually is the one who actually set up the American style community college system in the Republic of South Africa post apartheid. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother uh, is Attorney Geraldine Williams. Smith or Jolene Williams now, uh, and she uh, was one of the first people to integrate the University of Florida. One of the first fourteen mm-hmm. uh, to integrate the University of Florida, and she was the first person, the first female, um, black or white, to win the William Randolph Hearst Award. She was a journalist. She's a journalist as well. So and a lawyer, 19, a journalist and a lawyer. And a lawyer. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, she we couldn't find her when when the when the Arab summer happened. We could not find. She went there to, to run the the Ramses Marathon. Hmm. And do you know we could not find her? Wow. She was one of the last people to make it out of out of Egypt that when that happened, right? Wow. You know what she was doing? My oldest brother was military. Had to find her. My mother was there, getting the story about the doggone Arab summer. Hmm. And I was like, "You kidding me right now?" You know, <laughs> I, I was like, "Mom." You know, she, she said, well, I'm fine. I said, we have a mom. You know, we couldn't find we all, all four of us are trying to find her. We're panicking. Like, hey, hey reporters man. always working. Walter. Hey, man. You know. But, you know, you knew one of the greatest wave makers of the 20th century because you lived in South Africa. Yes. And you got to know? Nelson Mandela. Tell us about that. How did that happen? <laughs> that was, <laughs> uh, I actually, hmm, how can I explain this? So it is, it, well, bottom line is, I used to date his granddaughter. <laughs> his granddaughter. Okay. There I used you to go. date his granddaughter. I met her when I was in um, in college at Vitz University in Johannesburg. And uh, funny story, I didn't know that that was his granddaughter. I had no idea. 
Mm-hmm. And and so um, that I remember the night that I went there to to pick her up for our first date. The the you know I got there, and my dad my dad actually got us got me there, and I'm like, Dad, you know why my dad is sitting there? And he he I think my dad knew. I, I always and to this to this day, God bless <laughs> his soul. I don't think he he never admitted to the fact that he knew that this was what was happening. So I got to the house, and I said, uh, I said, okay, well, you know, hey, you know, let's uh, let's let's go. We got, we got, oh wait, hold on, we got inside, and uh, she says, I, I got to go and see about my grandfather. And I said, all right, you know, fine. So I sat there and, and waiting and everything. As I'm sitting there waiting, I'm standing in the foyer, and I look at this big portrait of Nelson Mandela. Well, this wasn't un- it wasn't uncommon to see mm-hmm. that portrait. I mean, you saw it at the mall, right? Mm-hmm. And so he so. I hear her come. She comes down the stairs. She says, okay, let's go. So she's trying to get me out the door. And I hear this voice uh, say, I, I want to come downstairs and meet this, you know, this American, this young American. And so he come down the first flight, uh, flight of stairs to the first landing. And I'm standing at the bottom of the stairs, and I'm like, holy crap. That is Nelson, Nelson Mandela. Mandela. <laughs> And and so I, I'm standing there, and I had to I had to regain I had to gain my composure quickly so that I didn't show like I'd never been anywhere before, you know. <laughs> so I'm standing there, and I was like, I, I said, uh, Mr. President, how are you? And remember, now this is 1994. He just he's just becoming president of, of the country. He says, How are you, young man? And I was like, Oh my God, you know. <laughs> I said, I, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. He says, I understand your father's doing great work down here, and I and I was like, Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. You know, and that was that yeah. was from then on. Uh, we spent a lot of time, you know, back and forth, and, and and I've had I had great discussion with him. Had the opportunity to have some great discussion with him, and um, it was it was great. It was great. Well, we appreciate you being on the show with us today. Yes, I, I mean I, I, Nelson Mandela must have, uh, have, have encouraged you, or did, what did you get from that? It helped. It helped to sh- up to shape my worldview. That whole trip did, truthfully. Yeah, uh, actually oh, sure. got me because I, I, I honestly I didn't want I didn't want to be an engineer. At that point, <laughs> I was twenty two years old, you know, and I was like, I don't want to do this. But when I I got to my dad's place uh, to his college, and I was up at the panorama room, and I saw this I saw this graveyard, and it was a remnant of 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 uh, of what was happening what was happening in apartheid where black people were working in the coal mines, providing clean energy for for white folks in, hmm. in another part of town. Uh, while they were while they were going into abandoned mines and getting coal to sell to people and jeopardizing their lives for that, and I got back home, I saw this type of thing was close to what was happening here in terms of the the environmental impacts, and I was like, this can't happen. Well, so he showed that you can bring down apartheid. So yeah, yeah, maybe maybe you have a chance to bring down coal. I don't know. <laughs> I'll say we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being with us so much, Walter. Thanks to all of you who uh, called and sent us emails. Um, And this is WMNF Tampa. Stay tuned for um, Harrison Harrison Nash right after the NPR News. This is WMNF Sunday Forum at 8 o'clock in the morning. Sunday Forum, 8 8 o'clock. Sunday. Don't miss it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, guys.